The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Keith Duncan, true freshman from North Carolina, from 33 yards and a walk-off winner. Right through, and the Hawkeyes have stunned the Wolverines. Michigan unbeaten no more. And the Hawkeyes, who've been questioned and criticized. Very few of these folks mobbing the team believe this would happen tonight, Kirk. What a scene. Not after last Saturday. This is a heck of a moment for Kirk Ferentz and for this Iowa football team. This is why it's the best. Man. This is why college football is the best. It sure is. Amen. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' incredible upset win over Michigan and previews this week's Illinois game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's contest, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Illinois' Lovey Smith. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of LandOf10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chemeland and Jack Bransgard. Game highlights are courtesy of ABC with announcers Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. The Iowa Hawkeyes are coming off their biggest win of the season, if not in several years, knocking off highly ranked Michigan 14-13 with a last-second field goal Saturday night. The night game was telecast nationally by ABC, and let alone the finish, it was electric. There were also more than 60 recruits inside Kinnick Stadium who joined in the massive on-field post-game celebration. Now Iowa prepares to face the Fighting Illini at Memorial Stadium in Champaign. The Illini are not a very good team this season as they are now in a rebuilding mode under first-year head coach Levy Smith. Iowa is the favorite to win this game, but there is the potential for an upset. It's a classic trap game for Iowa between the thrilling win over Michigan and the Black Friday game in Iowa City against Nebraska. While Iowa is playing to improve its bowl chances, it is senior day in Champaign, which always adds an extra emotional dimension to a contest. A win over Iowa would give the Illini the distinction of beating both teams that played in last year's Big Ten championship game. Iowa has run the ball well in its six wins, but very poorly in its four losses. The Illinois defense has been susceptible to the run all season. The weather forecast is a classic November one for Champaign, cool if not cold, and very windy. Memorial Stadium is subject to high winds, which can dramatically impact both passing and kicking, so being able to run the ball effectively and to defend the run 
Marathon will be essential on Saturday for Iowa to leave Shambana with its seventh win of the season. Kickoff is set for 11 a.m., and there are plenty of tickets available at last report for Iowa fans who may want to take the short road trip and head over and see their team play its last regular season road game this year. Memorial Stadium seats 60,670, and this game is far from a sellout. This will be the 72nd meeting between these two schools. The Illini lead the all-time series 38-21-2, but the Hawkeyes have won 10 of the last 13 and 7 of the last 8. Iowa is only 13-20 and 20 in Champaign, but it has won 3 of the last 4 games played there, including a 30-14 win in 2014. Iowa also won last year's game in Iowa City, a 29-20 hard-fought homecoming victory. Iowa is 6-4 overall, 4-3 in the Big Ten. Illinois was blasted 48-3 by Wisconsin last weekend in Madison and is just 3-7 and 2-5 and and in conference play. It has lost three of its last four games. While the Illini defeated Michigan State 31-27, in addition to the Badgers' blowout, they have lost by wide margins to Minnesota and Michigan, teams that Iowa beat, and Illinois also lost to Purdue at home in overtime. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is in his 18th season leading the Hawkeyes. He is the dean of the Big Ten coaches with a record at Iowa of 133-91. He is seventh all-time in the conference in overall wins and in Big Ten wins. He is just one game shy of Lloyd Carr in terms of conference wins and only three victories away from tying Minnesota's Henry Williams in terms of overall wins at 136. Following this contest, Iowa returns home to play its annual Black Friday game against Nebraska in the annual Battle for the Heroes Trophy. Illinois will go on the road to close out its season at Northwestern. Tidbits and nuggets this week as a result of last Saturday's win. Five of Iowa's ten games this season have been decided by seven points or less. The Illini are recognizing 24 seniors Saturday. They have also played 27 first-time starters this season, the most in the FBS, including 12 freshmen. Saturday's game is meaningful for both teams in another respect. They compete against each other for the top recruits in the state of Illinois. Iowa currently has 16 Illinois natives on its roster, while the Illini have only one from Iowa, tight end Andrew Davis from Marion. Three Iowa players earned Big Ten Player of the Week honors after the Michigan upset. Senior defensive tackle Jaleel Johnson, true freshman cornerback Manny Ragamba, and true freshman kicker Keith Duncan. The Hawkeyes became bowl eligible as a result of the Michigan win for the 15th time in the last 16 years under Ference. Iowa's win over the second-ranked Wolverines last Saturday wasn't the only shockwave to hit college football. Third-ranked Clemson lost to Pitt, and USC beat fourth-ranked Washington. It was only the second time in the history of the Associated Press poll that numbers 2, 3, and 4 all lost on the same day. The last time that happened, 1985, when top-ranked Iowa beat second-ranked Michigan on a last-second field goal 12-10. That 1985 game was also the last time the Hawkeyes beat a number two team. According to ESPN, the Iowa-Michigan game's viewership was the highest of all CFB games across all networks last Saturday, averaging 6.359 million and peaking at 10 million when Duncan kicked the game-winning field goal. The Iowa-Illinois game will be televised by the Big Ten Network with announcers Scott Graham, Jeremy 
Jeremy Lemon and Rick Pizzo. It will also be broadcast by the Hawkeye Radio Network, as usual, with Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. And you can also listen to it on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 81, as well as Sirius Channel 81. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. That third retreat, flips it in the flat, screen, touchdown! That whole drive was after Wadley, and the Hawkeyes are hanging tight. Great call against man-to-man. You had the rub out to the left, and you had the back Wadley matched up against the linebacker, but because of the blitz, he ends up freeing up. Nobody picked him up. Wadley, 37 receiving yards there in that drive, and his third receiving touchdown. Great call, anticipating pressure in the blitz from the linebackers by Greg Davis. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who was asked whether he had ever been part of a swing like that of the Penn State loss to the Michigan win in a single week. Yeah, it's tough to compare, but I mean, the ups and downs uh, of athletics for coaches, fans, uh, certainly the players, you know, it's part of sports. I think it's probably part of the intrigue of the whole thing. And uh, as I said last week, the whole key is to move forward. And uh, it's going to be the same thing this week, probably a bigger challenge in some ways. Because uh, last week, you know, our guys were out, uh, you know, they're out there every day. And, uh, you know, last week, I'm sure they were hearing some negativity, just guessing they were. Uh, now it's just the opposite. So, you know, the, really the challenge is to uh, ignore both of those things and try to stay focused on what it is you're trying to do. And not that you don't think about outside things. I'm not suggesting that, but uh, if you want to win games, you really have to block out time where you're really focused, you're really working on what it is that's important to your job, your role on the football team, and then you know making sure you do a good job day by day, stacking them up so you have a chance to look good in, in the game. And yeah, So last week was a challenge. This one will be too, and, and the emotions play into it, certainly. Ference was asked if that whole process isn't the result of a single in-season week, that is, preparing for and beating Michigan after the Penn State loss, but part of a 52-week process year to year. Yeah, I think everything uh, you do is, to me, you have a certain lifestyle. If you're an athlete, whatever it is you do that you take pride in, you have a lifestyle that's geared towards that, and uh, you're either adding or taking away from. And that was one of the points we made last week. You know, uh, you know, we're probably not going to be the Big Ten champions this year, but you're either building towards it or you're taking away from it. And there's responsibility with that. Uh, for the seniors on this team, they, they won't get to experience probably the next one. Re- reality, reality says that. But they, they can have a role in it. And so to me, that that's why, yeah, year by year. And, I mean, you know, you take weeks off, you take months, not necessarily months off, but you take weeks off, days off, those types of things. But the way you do things, you know, it shows, it shows or it shows, good way or bad way. And uh, so it, it is important. Just how you think, how you respond to adversity, how you respond to good things. Uh, you know, it kind of becomes a, a way that you do things. And uh, that, that's always changing. It's always, you know, there are always variables because you have a, a different team every year, a different team every week uh, in some ways. So, you know, there's, there's always challenges there. But... It's easier said than done. In our, you know, that's where I really compliment our players. They did a great job of getting off the mat last week. Kirk was asked if there was a moment last Saturday night when he allowed himself to feel what was actually occurring and his connection to his team. Yeah, it's kind of hard to articulate. You, um, 
I'm, I'm flashing back to 85 right now. That You know, I just remember coming out on the field that night and just the feel in the stadium, how special that was and, and electric. And I, I assume it was a 3.30 or 2.30 kickoff. It just, in my mind, and my memory, it was dark, you know, so it was kind of like theater. It was pretty cool. But the other night when you walked into the stadium, same thing. Once you got out on the floor, it was, it was really electric in there, and the place wasn't even full at that point. So just to have that opportunity is really special, and it's uh, so rare and so unique. So you get that opportunity. But once once the game gets going, like, you know, I read somewhere that, you know, afterwards they were playing uh, Don't Stop Believing, right, that, that song. I mean, I, I didn't hear any music at all, I can promise you. But, you know, you're just you're thinking about what's going on and those types of things. And they are special moments. Uh, the locker room is always a special moment, you know, after a game like that. But the whole thing, you know, it'll probably be somewhere in January, you know, when we're done, then, you know, I'll get those guys to make me a DVD of the game. And because uh, I don't know how to TiVo or any of that stuff. So, you know, watch that and... You know, that made me really enjoy it a little bit. And right now, there's just no time. You know, right now, you're just kind of worried about the next game here. When you work with, you know, people, any any age people, you know, I mean, that's that's what makes this uh, fun and special. And the thing about sports and athletics, it's it's uh, it's really raw. I mean, it's just, you know, you're right uh, right down at a level that's it's really, it's enjoyable. And the worst, there's a lot of worst things about being the head coach. Uh, there are a couple of good things. You get to, you know, say when we're going to practice, if I want to work out, I go work out and all that kind of stuff. So, but, but the worst thing about being the head coach is you move further away from that when you're a position coach. You're right there, you know, with your same group day to day in the meeting room, out of the meeting room. So it's, it's not quite as intimate, but you got to work out. I've learned that you got to make it intimate. But that, but that's why the losses hurt so much, and that's you know why the wins are so good. So that that's the best part about coaching, quite frankly. You know, all the other stuff's nice. We got a beautiful building. Very very appreciative of all that, but it still gets down to the people. And uh, I learned in '81, and you know, nine years here as an assistant, the people that I got to interface with. That, that's the best part. So, and now it's, you know, 17 plus years more of it. That, that's a good thing about what all this is, you know, what you're allowed to do here. Ference was asked what makes him think the Illinois game will be more like the Michigan contest as opposed to what happened to the Hawkeyes at Penn State. There, there's no guarantees. You know, we, we certainly didn't see the Penn State. We had a lot of respect for Penn State and obviously still do, uh, starting with the running back and the quarterback, what they do in the run game. But I guarantee it, none of us expected that outcome, and we got it. And uh, then conversely, there are probably not a lot of people expecting the outcome we got the other night. But uh, again, that's that's the beauty of sports or football. There's ebb and flow. There's uh, things you don't see coming sometimes. Uh, and they happen good and they happen bad. And uh, But the challenge, again, gets back to what I said earlier about our preparation. Hopefully we're doing it the same way we did it last week. And I don't, I don't think we had a bad week in preparation for Penn State. We just uh, we didn't get it done at kickoff. So you know, the way we're built defensively, we, we need to stop the run. And uh, you know, we didn't do a good job two, year, two weeks ago. We, we did a much better job last uh, week, and we'll get tested again this week and next week and uh, one more game after that. So uh, the challenge is to get ready for it. You know, starts up front. We got to do a good job there. And uh, th- these guys throw the ball down the field too uh, a lot, and they throw it down the field, like you know, down the field. So everybody's, everybody's gonna have to be at their best every snap to, for us to to get this thing done. Kirk was in a very good mood on Tuesday. He cracked several one-liners. The media responded in kind on several occasions. One of those was a question about whether he was going to put punter Ron Kaluzzi through any kind of special running drills. Well, yeah, it's, uh, as you might imagine, he's taking a little ribbing over that uh, from several people, not me, but uh, yeah, he's kind of, he really is a pretty good athlete, but <laughs> that was an ugly play. Well, I'm just glad he walked away. I wasn't sure that I said the other night, I wasn't sure he's going to make the second quarter. 
Next, we hear from Illinois head coach Lovey Smith, who was asked what he saw in this Iowa team when it defeated Michigan last Saturday. What I saw is, um, I think, the team that they like to be. Committed to the run, uh, physical football game. I think Iowa has an outstanding tailback that can make you miss in the open field. Seems like each week we've talked about the opponent's tailback, the tailback position, and and how it's good each week in the Big Ten. That's definitely the case. I saw a commitment to the run. They played hard throughout, even adversity late in the game. You know, threw a pick at the end of the game, stopped them, made Michigan punt, and then uh, got in position to kick the winning field goal. Defensively, you know, played hard. You know, saw you know two heavyweights really battling, and and you can get up. You know, a lot of times when you when you haven't played your best ball, you want to come back home in front of your home crowd. And, uh, and that's where we are. Smith talks about senior day for the Illini and its importance. You know, you, you're appreciative of the senior class as much as anything. You know, the plan was for them to have, for us to have a better record right now. But from what we've gotten from our seniors is what I thought we would get. You know, good leadership. They show, show up each day. They've allowed us to coach them, wanted to be coached throughout. Uh, that's why it's so important that we rise up and play our best ball. Where we are right now, can't do much about what's happened in the past, but we can play our best ball this week, and that's we're going to do everything possible to see that that happens. Smith fielded a question about the importance of finishing strong in Illinois' last two games, at home versus Iowa, and then on the road at Northwestern. Well, you know, you talk each week, each game, about finishing strong, and that goes with the season, too. Whether you're having a great year before or you've been disappointed a little bit in, in what has happened before you during the season, you want to finish up a certain way. And that's what, you know, we have. The things you can do, uh, some players can check out, I guess you can say, and just want it to end. But I think you have to have a pulse, you know, a little, know the pulse of your team a little bit. We don't have those kind of guys. And you can have a lasting taste in your mouth, as simple as that, with everything that you do. And that's where we are. I think it's good to have a couple of teams that you have tradition with. You know, we used to, you know, this used to be our main rival, you know, the University of Iowa. Of course, Northwestern has taken over that now. But um, so to have to finish up the season this way, there's a lot to play for. And then just your pride. You have two more opportunities to play good football. And given that Iowa was two entirely different teams in the Penn State game compared to the Michigan contest, Smith was asked how his squad can force the Hawkeyes to play more like they did in Happy Valley than at Kinnick Stadium. Well, we're looking for that. And if I, and if I did know it, I probably shouldn't tell you right now. But uh, it, there was, you know, there were two uh, different uh, teams that played, and it's hard to tell the reason why. I just know you have to be ready each week, and you know you don't know for sure what you're going to get. I just know the last one that we saw. I mean, that team against Michigan this week is a pretty good football team, a team that could win every game that they play, playing the way they did last week, and we're preparing for that team that we saw then. Spate from the pocket, delivers into traffic, a battle for the football. It's intercepted, taken away by Rigamba, the true freshman. He just took the ball away from the receiver, and the Hawkeyes have it back on Michigan's first pick tonight. How about the effort by Rugumpa there, the true freshman, fights that football away from Chesson and ends up coming up with a huge interception. Asked to step up big tonight, and the young guy has. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 
24-hour hand sanitizer production just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. Time now for our Reporter's Notebook segment this week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Michigan game, previews Saturday's Illinois contest, and we'll talk some Big Ten. Steve, as we usually do, let's start off this segment by looking back, and what a fun thing to do, last Saturday night's humongous upset win over previously undefeated Michigan under the lights, a national ABC telecast with the top announced crew and 65 recruits and 70,000-plus fans going nuts in attendance. Yeah, uh, you really couldn't have asked for a better scenario, and and it certainly, uh, you know, the way that thing ended, the drama of it all, at the end and then the fans spilling out onto the field it uh, you know it was a terrific night for the Iowa football program uh, all the way around I mean to, to have that kind of exposure I mean you can't buy that kind of exposure on uh, to be on ABC TV coast to coast uh, you know the only game in town on a Saturday night uh, it was a terrific performance uh, particularly by the Iowa defense and, and certainly special teams came up big all night too and you know the offense did just enough to kind of get by and, and you you know, it all fit together. It, it was the way that Iowa had to play against Michigan if they wanted to be successful. And, you know, Hawks did a great job, I thought, of, of, of kind of, you know, working the clock and, and getting what they needed to get from, from the run game. And certainly Akram Wadley had a, another terrific performance. 14-13, to 13, at least I had the Iowa score correct, was a bad game for predictions for all of us, not just us here, but pretty much everywhere. I don't know anyone who picked Iowa in that game. And... I remember sitting in the stands in the 1985 contest for that last-second field goal, the walk-off field goal there by Rob Houtland. But Iowa was number one then. Michigan was number two. This game was truly an upset in every sense of the word. Especially coming off of the Penn State performance the week before. I, this is the one that I don't think a lot of people saw coming because, uh, you know, the Penn State defeat was was so thorough, uh, you know, just across the board on, on and everything Iowa tried to do didn't work that night. You know, I, I felt like Iowa would probably put forth a pretty good effort. Uh, you know, I think the one thing that a lot of us overlooked, you know, was the fact that Iowa is kind of built the same way as the, as the two teams that had really given Michigan some issues this year. Wisconsin in that 14-7 to game, and Michigan State played them to a nine-point game uh, a couple weeks earlier. Uh, both of those teams, much like Iowa, power-based kind of football teams. And, uh, you know, I, if there's a trend to be seen there, I, I think it's uh, it's probably on the Wolverine side of things, and that's that they've kind of struggled against those teams. The other thing that was interesting, and I was listening to some of the former players talk after the game, was Greg Davis tweaked some of the offensive sets, and he had the receivers split out farther, which moved Michigan's defensive center off a little bit and probably helped freeing up some of the Akram-Wadley runs. You know, there were just 
just enough changes, even though they were running similar plays, that it, it really turned out to make, make the difference in that game. And then you have a true freshman hero, Keith Duncan, with that, that 33-yard field goal. And then it was like a zillion swarming ants consuming the entire field at Kinnick. It was impressive to watch. There's no doubt about it. And we'd be remiss, too, if we didn't mention there were some guys that kind of stepped into to new roles because of injuries that really stepped up and, and not only you know held the position, they, they contributed. Manny Ragamba had a terrific game. Uh, you know, Anthony Gare steps in for for Miles Taylor when he has to leave after really about the first snap of the game. You know, and then on the offensive side, Nate Whiting at a tight end position provided some help. And, uh, you know, there were some really uh, some heroic kind of situations. That next man in philosophy comes through again for the Hawkeyes. And you had Ron Caluzzi with significant contributions, not the least of which was that punt that he killed on the two-yard line that ultimately led to the safety a couple of plays later. Of course, Caluzzi also had one of the funniest runs ever see in football when he did the somersault and we've seen so many memes on social media since that game but um, really overall about as an exciting performance for a low scoring game as you could possibly see. It was just a good hard hitting Big Ten football game I think a lot of people you know when you think back over the years those are the type of games that you remember. Absolutely and now you come to the Illinois game. I was on the road it's a Big Ten West matchup it's a trap game almost a classic trap game coming off the tremendous win over Michigan and the highs the emotional high that went with that and looking ahead to next week the Black Friday game against Nebraska Iowa became bowl eligible with the win over Michigan they have a chance now to finish up with eight wins if they can beat Illinois and Nebraska and really improve their bowl positions let's go right to the Iowa offense versus the Illinois defense matchup despite the win over Michigan it didn't do much of anything to improve Iowa's offensive statistics, many of which continue to be in the toilet. Total offense, they're still 120th in the nation. They're 111th in passing offense. They're tied in 89th in scoring offense, 110th in third down conversion. However, they're first in the Big Ten and fourth nationally in their red zone offense. And it's been the one bright spot, and it's been a constant bright spot since the start of the season. It was a point of emphasis coming into the year. The Hawkeyes have really delivered when they've gotten the ball inside the 20. Uh, this is an offense that has continued to kind of sputter. Uh, you know, if you take a look at it, the, you know, the Hawkeyes have scored three touchdowns over the last 13 quarters on offense. That, that's a little problematic, and that's something that, you know, needs to kind of change, uh, you know, particularly against an Illinois team that's been giving up some points. It's uh, It's been an issue, and, and I think that uh, to, to come away with one win in that situation, I think is probably a good thing, but uh, it's certainly something that needs to be addressed. C.J. Beathard is now 19-6 and six in his 25 career starts. I thought one of the outstanding offensive play calls of the game by Greg Davis, who's often maligned by the fans, was that quarterback draw to the center of the field that set up the 33-yard field goal. It's a smart football play, you know, and, and it certainly, uh, C.J. executed it, and we saw that on several occasions. Uh, you know, we, we saw a couple of screen plays that were very effective for Iowa, but you're, you're right, that, that play by Beathard to kind of set the field goal up and, and put a freshman kicker 
in basically a perfect position to make a, a solid kick uh, was so important. And, and uh, again, yeah, you're right, a terrific call. Iowa still, in its wins at least, has had a very effective running game. In its losses, not so much. So there's that inconsistency then. A pretty interesting statistics in the six wins for the Hawkeyes so far. They averaged 219 yards on the ground and the four losses just 57 yards. Akram Wadley needs just 221 yards to, to hit 1,000 yards on the season. There's three games left to do that. He's not only Iowa's leading rusher, he's the second leading receiver. The Hawks are still the only Big Ten team with two running backs in the top 10 in conference in terms of rushing yards. And running the ball against a weak Illinois defense when it comes to the to rush defense, they're giving up 209 rushing yards per game. It's fourth worst in the Big Ten. That's going to be key this Saturday because Iowa's also given up a lot of sacks, 27 so far, and they need to have that consistent rushing game this Saturday to take the pressure off the offensive line and pass protection at least. Uh, no question, and, and I think the other thing that factors into it too is, is it appears that it's going to be one of those November weather days. And, you know, Having covered Illinois for a few years as well here uh, with, with the times, uh, Memorial Stadium is it can be a, a you know a wind tunnel at times. And I've seen a lot of games in November turn into two quarter games uh, because of the wind, and and uh, it's going to be a fairly raw day. At least that's what the forecast is calling for at this point. And it certainly benefits a team to have an effective running game. And if you take a look at what Wadley and Daniels have been able to do, and and Bethard had some key runs as well last week, uh, you know that combination could be pretty effective for Iowa. And they're going to need to get that game going. Lovey Smith's reputation is built on his defense. He's a defensive-minded coach. The Illinois defense is already showing a marked improvement. It's very aggressive. Other than the rush defense stats, they're pretty solid on defense. They have a terrific defensive line, at least some great players on that line. Puts a lot of pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. They are great when it comes to tackles for loss. Look at people like defensive line Carol Phillips and Dwayne Smoot. This is a very aggressive defense and probably will put more pressure on Iowa's offense than they've seen pretty much all season, other than maybe the Penn State game. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, you know, Illinois' front four in particular is very strong. And, you know, Hardy Nickerson is, is a guy that transferred in from Cal, uh, where he was their leading tackler a year ago. He's a graduate transfer. He, he came to Illinois to, to have a chance to play for for his father, the senior, and uh, you know, he, he's ranking third right now in the Big Ten in tackles. And, and uh, this is a, a defense that has certainly has some, some stars. I mean, they have some great individual talent. They have struggled at times. Some of the some of the aggressiveness has come back to bite them on occasion. They've they've been a little bit susceptible to the, to the big play on uh, on occasion. And I think that that's uh, that's probably the one downside to what they've done defensively. But uh, you know, they they certainly have have been a, a group that is. Uh, it's been an interesting mix of old and new players, and 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 it's you know pretty indicative of a coach kind of settling in and kind of figuring out what his talent is. And it's a uh, you know you take a look at uh, you know, a guy like uh, Jalen Dunlap, uh, who has been fairly effective in, uh, in the back end, but uh, you know he's a guy that really uh, just kind of stepped in, into the program this year in terms of his contributions, and, and uh, uh, it's a work in progress, but uh, the defensive side of the ball certainly has been their strength. You look at their, their tackles for loss, they're averaging 8.2 of those per game. That's sixth best in the nation. They have two of my last 
last week, the Michigan game had one of my favorite players in terms of his name, Taco Charlton. Well, Illinois' defense has two people that are right up there in the favorite name. They've got a defensive lineman. Couldn't be more perfect for a defensive lineman. Chunky Clements, who also has seven tackles for loss and three and a half sacks. And then they've got another lineman whose last name is President. It's an all-name team kind of group. And for the most part, you know, Chunky's been around for a couple of years, and, and uh, he was uh, he was a guy that uh, had a ton of tackles for a loss a year ago for them. His numbers are down a little bit, but he's getting more help, which I think uh, that's part of, of, of the alignment that they're using right now. It, it certainly has put him into a little bit of, of a different position. They're a little quicker at the end spot maybe than what they were a year ago. Smoot certainly has been a, a multi-year performer for Illinois, and, and uh, you know, as a senior, he's one of those guys that uh, the NFL people like an awful lot. He's active enough on that side of the line that I think it's it helps free up Carol Phillips on the other side, and Phillips leads the Illini defense in sacks with eight. And, and President is a uh, is a grad transfer as well. He transferred in from Auburn. So, I mean, they've got some pieces there, and they can create some issues. And, and, and they do rotate guys on a fairly regular basis, which uh, you know keeps fresh bodies on the field. And we've, we've seen how that benefits Iowa at times as well. And it certainly is. Uh, when Illinois has been at its best, its defense has been on top of its game this season. Back on the Iowa side of the line there, Croston is out, probably out for the season. And according to Ferentz at his Tuesday press conference, Kittle is doubtful. So that still leaves Iowa's passing game in a bit of a bind. Again, they've figured out more innovative ways to use Wadley. Germanic Smith seems to be moving in the right direction in terms of being another alternative out there. And more targets maybe for Bethard, but he hasn't really shown a lot of willingness to throw to most of them. Yeah, we, we, we saw Adrian Falconer get involved a little more last week as well. Uh, to borrow a, a Fran McCaffrey phrase, Jay Shield has been a little bit sideways here maybe the last couple of games and maybe hasn't had the kind of progress that people might have anticipated. But you know, there is a little more depth in the Iowa passing game now, and I think that's beneficial. I think, you know, we saw uh, Falconer targeted a couple of times. He certainly, he, he you know, looked like a first-time guy out there. I mean, he dropped the uh, the extra point, uh, two-point conversion track and had another ball come his way as well that, uh, that was probably a, a fairly catchable ball that, that eluded him. But, uh, you know, some of that's just part of the growing pains that they're going through right now. And, and uh, but, but at least, uh, you know, I think the, just the variety in the passing game, I think, is also helping Iowa kind of keep the defense occupied. Particularly with Kittle's injury, but even before that, when he was healthy, I don't think I ever recall in recent history, by that I mean Hayden Fry as well as Kirk Ferentz, an Iowa team that has collectively so little productivity from its tight ends. It's turned into pretty much a blocking position right now, and, and uh, I think uh, you know both Peter Picar and, and, and Nate Whiting uh, did a, a solid job uh, against Michigan of, of, of providing that support, and you know that's a part of that's part of the equation there from that position. And you know Noah Fant is is a guy who probably is more of the receiving type tight end that. Uh, Iowa has, has been able to, uh, you know, utilize with Kittle, but uh, you know, he's a f- true freshman as well, and has had some growing pains too. And uh, you know, we really haven't seen a heck of a lot out of him in terms of catches over the past couple of weeks. But uh, and I think that some of that's just that's just being a true freshman. I mean, those guys are gonna, uh, you know, they're gonna have a little growth spurt in what they're doing, and then kind of level off, and then maybe have another little growth spurt a little later on. And it's just indicative of, of kind of the personnel that they're using right now. And but uh, I, I do. 
think that Pika and Whiting, uh, at least are contributing from a blocking standpoint, and especially last week, and I think that was pretty important. And back to Illinois' defense for one last comment. Nickerson is the leading tackler. He has 92, and he also has two picks. So, again, Iowa emphasizes the run, but they're going to have to pass some to pull this off. You can't have completely. Otherwise, Illinois will have eight, nine, ten guys in the box. And that aggression, certainly, too, on the Illinois side of the ball defensively extends to the secondary. You've got a guy in, in, in Stanley Green. He's a freshman. that uh, um, He's forced three fumbles this year, including a couple of, in that win over Michigan State a couple weeks ago. And they've got some young talent. This isn't a team that is, is totally devoid of, of talent. I mean, despite their 3-7 and seven record, five of those losses have been to teams that were rated in the top 20 this month. So, uh, you know, they, they've played a fairly challenging schedule and taken their losses because of it. But uh, when given the chance, they've been competitive. After this break, Steve and I continue to break down the Iowa-Illinois matchups on special teams and defense, and we look at the Big Ten. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. Going over now to the matchup between Iowa's defense and the Illinois offense. If there's one thing that makes Iowa's offense look better, it's the Illinois offense because they're even worse in most categories nationally and in the Big Ten than the Hawkeyes are on offense. They're 124th in total offense, 116th in scoring offense. They're a little better rushing the ball. They're horrible when it comes to third down conversion percentage. They're 125th in the nation. So they have some offensive problems, and I guess some people might say Lovey Smith, while he continues to show defensive prowess, continues to struggle on the offensive side of the ball as a coach. Certainly, and and those struggles have started this year at the quarterback position, which has been a it's been a revolving door for Illinois uh, since the start of the year. This was supposed to be you know Westland's uh, chance to to showcase his abilities, and it's, it's turned into a uh, to an injury uh, prone position. You know, Lunt is is back on. On the field now. He'd missed four games. They went through a situation where they went from West Lent to, to Chase Crouch, who was more of a, a running type quarterback. He came in when, when uh, Lent was hurt in the Purdue game. Crouch ended up suffering a season-ending injury. So that uh, that led Illinois to, to Jeff George Jr. Uh, and, uh, you know, who basically had been asked only to, to come in in late game situations and hand off before, the, before he took the, the field on October 20 
second at Michigan to make what really was pretty much his college debut and certainly his starting debut. And it, it was, uh, it wasn't pretty, but, uh, you know, he's a young guy that uh, has shown some potential as well. He just doesn't have the experience or the, you know, maybe it's quite as uh, a fine tuned or refined arm as, as what West Lent has. I don't know how many Iowa fans remember the Iowa Illinois game last season, but it was one of the tougher, more physical games that Iowa played all year and very close. And West Lund had a great game against Iowa last season. Certainly a very capable quarterback. He, he, he's a kid that started at Oklahoma State as a, as a true freshman, got benched down there midway through that season, ended up transferring home to his home state uh, from Rochester, Illinois, just outside of Springfield, where uh, you know he led his high school team to a couple of uh, state championships in Illinois at, at that level. And, uh, you know, very highly recruited kid coming out of high school. And, uh, you know, he, he is a guy that actually had been injured. It was a starter two years ago when he made a comeback against Iowa uh, that season. Similar type deal this year. He, he missed four games, came back in the second half of the Wisconsin game. You know, went, I think he completed two of eight passes against the Badgers. So he didn't see a ton of action. And certainly the game there was over uh, by halftime. They were down 31 to three. George had thrown four interceptions and, and uh, things had gotten pretty ugly already. But it, it did allow him to at least get back on the field. Uh, and the plan this week is for is for Westland to be the starter. It's the, you know the final home game for him in his career. And Lovey, at least on Monday, kind of expressed hope that uh, that West would be able to kind of finish things up uh, on a high note after what's been kind of a struggle-filled season. He's completing 58% of his passes, and despite missing those four games, he's thrown for six touchdowns. And as Kirk talked about Tuesday, he's he's got a strong arm and he can make the deep throws. And the Illinois offense, despite its issues in terms of statistics and overall uh, scoring, has shown that it can make explosive plays both on the ground and through the air all season long. Yeah, that, that is one certain area that Illinois has been effective. I think they have five carries at 50 yards or more during the course of the season. They've, they've been fairly effective uh, in the passing game at times. You know, another injury situation here in, in that, you know, Mike, Dudek was expected to be their primary target again this season. And for the second straight year, he, he suffered a torn ACL and, and is watching everything from the sidelines. So it's been kind of a makeshift kind of thing. Malik Turner is, is their leading receiver, but you know, he's been in and out of things. He had a, a concussion issue a couple weeks ago that certainly only added to Illinois' personnel problems in the passing game. And Justin Hardy started the year with, with an injury. So it, it's been kind of a patchwork thing. And, and uh, you know, as, as we've seen with Iowa's struggles in, t- in terms of trying to get something going in, in the passing game, cohesion is such a you know a big part of what you know has to happen between quarterback and receiver, and yeah, that's been a real challenge for the Illini. Yeah, Malik Turner is not only the leading receiver; there's nobody else even close. The, he's caught balls for 535 yards, 36 catches, four touchdowns. The next closest receiver is about 350 yards behind on the season. So Iowa's uh, pass defense, which has been pretty good most of the season, especially with King, and, and you mentioned how well Ragamba played coming in, and Gare as well at safety, but Illinois, while it lacks receivers, at least in terms of production, and we always talk about Iowa's two-headed monster at running back, the Illini have three running backs who've been very productive all season. Kendrick Foster, Reggie Corbin, and Kashan Vaughn, and Foster has broken three of those running plays that are over 50 yards. He has three scoring runs of at least 50 
56 yards. He's also caught two touchdown passes. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, frankly, they're they're working behind a fairly veteran line. I mean, this is a you know an Illinois line that was expected to be fairly solid this year, and, and they provided uh, some some holes for for those guys to run through. And you know, Illinois has had a fairly decent running game over the last couple of years. You think back to last season, Josh Ferguson was, was a pretty talented back, and uh, they they filled that void fairly well. I mean, you, you know, the young guys that they've got running right now, uh, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn is a sophomore, Foster is a junior, and you know, Reggie Corbin is is a redshirt freshman. So it's a it's a young group, and it's it's a growing group. But uh, you know, they have all had their moments. Consistency has kind of been the thing. To your point about the offensive line, they didn't allow a sack in the last two games, even in that loss to Wisconsin. And we know how good Wisconsin's defense is. And they've only allowed seven sacks in Big Ten play, which is second in the conference. And they have one of the nation's premier centers in, in Joe Spencer. He, he's a junior who uh, has been very uh, consistent for them you know, since moving into the lineup. And, and uh, he's a guy that will uh, will make uh, you know make uh, life difficult for an opponent. There's no question about it. He provides the same kind of consistency that Iowa received a year ago from Austin Blythe. On the Iowa side of the ball now, while most of the defensive stats are kind of middle of the pack, they have had their moments. And after struggling and uh, on run defense earlier in the season, they've really improved other than the Penn State game in the last half of the season. They came out of the uh, win over Michigan with Big Ten Players of the Week. Jaleel Johnson has really come on strong this season. He was a monster versus Michigan. He had nine tackles, two tackles for loss. He had the big sack, and he had a safety, and he's now tied for fourth in the Big Ten with 6.5 sacks. Yeah, Jaleel's having a terrific senior season. He did not play very well at Penn State, and and he really bounced back with, a, with you know, what I think we can all probably agree was, was his strongest performance of his career. I mean, he's certainly one of the best, and uh, you know, it couldn't have come at a better time for, for both Iowa and for Jaleel. I think he probably needed a performance like that, but, you know, he's a guy that's really elevated his play on a consistent basis this year, and I think he's benefited too from the rotation that Iowa has used at the tackle spots. Uh, uh, you know, Nathan Budges has been a little beat up, but uh, uh, when, when he's been able to kind of rotate in with with the fake fake the Cackety and and Jaleel, it, it's been a, it's been a combination that's worked pretty well for the Hawkeyes. And the two Nelsons, Matt Nelson and Anthony Nelson, have been very productive overall in the season, particularly with sacks and tackles for lost both. Yes, both both certainly have kind of uh, contributed on a fairly consistent basis. And you know, and Parker Hesse's had a had a, a quietly kind of had a nice season as well. And, you know, that, that defensive front four has been pretty solid and it, it's really helpful linebackers uh, be in a position to make some plays and, and, and take a little of pressure off of that. And, then, you know, I think those kind of things, I think, have helped the Iowa defense kind of grow and progress here over the second half of the season. And, and certainly, uh, uh, you know, that, that came to be a critical component when uh, when you're able to take a, a Michigan uh, uh, rushing attack and, and limit it to 98 yards as Iowa did. That's, that's a pretty impressive uh, performance. And you talked when we were visiting about the win over Michigan about how well a freshman 
when Manny Ragamba played subbing in for Greg Mabin, and Mabin's out for the season now, so you have Ragamba, who's going to probably start the next two games, assuming he stays healthy. Uh, he's already had two picks on the year and very limited playing time. Against Michigan, he had a pick and four tackles and three pass breakups, and he looked like he knew what he was doing back there. And then in terms of the safety play, which, which has been problematical all season long, Snyder, who's aggressive and tries to go for big plays but misses some tackles, and then Miles Taylor, who who often looks like he's out of position. If it's a if they're taking him through the concussion protocol, you would probably look for Anthony Guerra Sr., who's not had much playing time to come in, but he was also really good against Michigan. The whole defensive backfield was good against Michigan. It was a solid group effort, probably as solid as what we've seen this season. And Manny Rogamba's in a position here to really benefit from the misfortune that Greg Maven suffered. It's providing him as a, as a true freshman with the chance to kind of get his feet wet in some pretty big-time games that will position him well for the future. And, you know, as Iowa looks towards 2017, you had two senior corners that were both going to be completing their careers. In fact, that Manny Ragamba, who had been seeing some time on, on, on you know, nickel and dime kind of looks, uh, to be able to step in, in into a starting role and left quarterback is so valuable for him moving forward that uh, it was a great situation, obviously, the other night, and it certainly uh, bodes well for, uh, for the future. And we'd be remiss if we didn't remind folks that Josie Jewell continues to lead the Big Ten in total tackles. He has 95 on the season. I thought the linebacker play was also better at Michigan. It had to be. Uh, Bo Bowers had some issues out there, but they were able to contain the edge for the most part against Michigan and pretty much shut Jabril Peppers down. Yeah, they, they cut his average yard per touch uh, almost in half. And uh, when you're able to do that, uh, you know, against a player like Peppers, uh, that, that, that's a uh, that, it's a good thing, certainly. He, he wasn't, a, uh, you know, a tremendous factor in that game the other night. And, you know, to be able to kind of neutralize him, I think, uh, only helped position Iowa for, for what transpired down the stretch. And, and you're right, uh, you know, they did a terrific job of setting up the edge. And, and I think that that's uh, been lacking at times this year. And, and it, But it certainly was there the other night, and it, it made all the difference in the world. Let's take a quick look at special teams. The biggest question mark going into the season for Iowa was the kickers, both the punter and the place kicker and things have turned out pretty well. You couldn't ask for much better punting over the course of the entire season with Ron Caluzzi. He's been great on kickoffs. Caluzzi has 34 touchbacks on kickoffs, which has made an enormous difference in games and teams that Iowa has played where they have very good kick return games. You can't return it when it's a touchback. And then Keith Duncan, he's perfect on PATs, and he's hit eight of nine field goals, including, of course, the 33 yarder that won the game at the end against Michigan. And the 25-yarder, which gave Iowa its first lead of the game that night. And, uh, you know, the, those kicks have, have been, he's been very consistent. Uh, you know, they've kind of spoon-fed him in the way that they've used him. They've, you know, continued to, to kind of rotate between Duncan and, and, and Miguel Racino, with Miguel handling the long attempts and, and Keith handling the shorter ones. And, you know, it's been fairly smart. I mean, you know, he, he's hit eight of nine uh, for the season. He, his only missed came against Wisconsin, and it, it's been a it's been a 
situation where, you know, when, when he stepped on that field, uh, you know, against Michigan, a lot of true freshman kickers would have been absolutely terrified. I mean, that kid was cool as a cucumber and just simply stepped up and did his job. And and, and that's uh, what you would hope for, but uh, that's not what you always get. And and uh, he delivered, not once, but twice. And, and uh, you know, that, that's a pretty, uh, those were both pretty heady kicks for, for a freshman to be making in that situation. Ron Caluzzi's leg might fall off before the season's over. He's already punted 58 times, and his average is 41.4. That's pretty terrific, really. And he's kicked off 49 times. He's gotten a lot of work. Yeah, he's off to the holder. So, uh, you know, he's a guy that uh, has stepped in this year as a graduate transfer. And every bit as important as what he's given them with his leg. He's really, I think, helped some of those other young, inexperienced specialists kind of kind of uh, with their mind game. I, I think he's been kind of a calming influence. Uh, he's got a great personality, keeps things light. You know, and the other night he was he was terrific. Uh, he, he did, uh, you know, as you alluded to, he, he averaged 47 yards on his punts uh, of the six that he had. Three of them were over, for over 50 yards, and and uh, you know he's done a good job of, of that. He has 10, 10 of his 58 punts have traveled 50 yards or more this season. That's that's been a big help for in an area that was a real question for this football team coming into the year. And then, of course, Desmond King continues to excel both in his punt returns and his kick returns. Iowa leads the Big Ten in kickoff return average at 25.2. King's averaging 27.3 on his kick returns and nearly nine yards on punt returns. We say this every week, still waiting for one of those to turn into a touchdown. Yeah, you know, and I keep saying, too, it's just a matter of time, but time is running out. So, you know, Desmond is giving Iowa a good lift, though. And he had a couple of returns the other night that certainly helped with field position. And, uh, you know, that's what you're looking for. I mean, that's the bottom line. If you can return one for a touchdown, that's great. But, uh, uh, you know, if you can put your team in a pretty good position to put points on the board, that's very helpful. Illinois got a pretty good kick returner, too, in Kendrick Foster. He's averaging 20.2 yards a kick. Yeah, you know, he's a junior. He's a kid that uh, certainly is is a, uh, you know, he's got some quickness. And he certainly appears to have some vision as well. And, and you know, that combination can, can lead to issues. And I was going to need to be, uh, you know, aware of, of his abilities, too. And, we, you know, we've seen a few kick returns that have created some issues for the Hawkeyes. And they'll need to be ready for Mr. Foster. Illinois punter Ryan Frain is pretty solid. He averages 41 yards a punt. And their field goal kicker is uh, fairly decent, 12 of 16, 75%. But he's hit on some long field goals this season. He's a walk-on. He's a kid that, uh, you know, really wasn't much on the radar in, in the spring. And, uh, you know, yeah, Chase McLaughlin is much, you know, much like, uh, you know, Kaluzzi and and, uh, and Duncan for Iowa. He's been fairly solid for a first-year guy. And, and uh, he's a sophomore, and he's still got a couple of years left. But uh, with the offense kind of sputtering the way that theirs has, particularly on third down, his leg has been needed. And uh, he's provided Illinois with some awfully big kicks this season. Real quick, Big Ten stuff before we get your prediction for Iowa-Illinois. Both divisions, the uh, title is still up for grabs. Nebraska and Wisconsin are knotted at 5-2, and two, but the Badgers hold the tiebreaker because they beat the Cornhuskers head-to-head. The East is wild at this point. You've got Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State all at 6-1. and one. This, this one could even come down to a coin toss, which, believe it or not, in the press box Saturday night, we were sitting there pregame reviewing the Big Ten's tie-breaking procedures, and a coin toss is literally one of them. Absolutely, yeah. Keith Duncan kind of threw the East into into a scramble mode. Uh, his kick to bring Michigan back to the pack. 
So, uh, and it, you know, not only did he drop the Wolverines down a notch, he also put Ohio State in a position where it no longer controls its own destiny. And so, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks out east. And, and the team that really has a chance is, to have a big say in how this thing plays out, strangely enough, is Michigan State. Uh, as much of a struggle as it's been for the Spartans this year, they finish up with, with uh, Ohio State at home this week, and then they head out to Penn State the following week. So it's a, it's one of those years where Michigan State certainly you know still has something to play for here. They can play the role of the spoiler down the stretch. And you know, if you look at the matchups this week uh, before you know everything gets down to the last weekend in Michigan. Uh, travels to Columbus uh, this week uh, you know Michigan you know they're at home against Indiana which is proven capable uh, you know Wilton Spates is, is uh, you know reportedly dealing with a broken collarbone that he suffered in the Iowa game which could lead to a backup quarterback being uh, John O'Corn being their guy against the Hoosiers that adds some things to the mix and Penn State visit, visits Rutgers on Saturday night which uh, just sounds like a cold evening in New Jersey but uh, you know and then they have to come home and deal with Michigan State the next week. So, you know, if the thing ends in a two-way tie between Ohio State and Penn State, Penn State will be the team going to Indianapolis, and it's very impossible that a, that a one-loss Ohio State team will be on the outside looking in at the Big Ten title game, which, uh, you know, pretty interesting scenarios down the stretch. Uh, the West not quite as complicated. Uh, if Wisconsin wins this week and they're at Purdue, you know, they're, they're headed to Indy in a couple weeks. Uh, you know, that's pretty much a, a done deal then at that point because of that tiebreaker that they have against the Huskers. So it's uh, it's an interesting combination of, of possibilities out there, particularly in the East. But, you know, it's a time of year where it's fun because, you know, as Iowa proved last week, you know, one game can impact three or four different things. All right, it's time for the prediction. They're getting harder. This Iowa team has been hard to predict. Most of us, or at least some of us, got it wrong at Penn State. Everybody got it wrong for last Saturday's game at Michigan. You would think this game should be a little safer to predict, but again, you've got Illinois coming off that thumping that they took from Wisconsin, 48-3, to and it's senior day for 24 seniors in Champaign, and that always is an added element when it comes to the emotion of a particular game. So what's your thinking here? This is one of those games that I think will be a little closer than a lot of people would envision. I do think that Iowa should be able to win this game. If you look historically at the Iowa-Illinois series since Hayden Fry's arrival in Iowa City in, in, in 79, the average margin of, of, of victory for either Illinois or Iowa in, in this series has been 18.7 points. These games have traditionally been very ugly football games. I think this is going to be an ugly football game, but I think it'll probably be a, a lower scoring ugly football game than maybe what uh, uh, those couple of teams are, are used to. I do think the Hawkeyes will probably get out of Champaign with, with a win probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 27 to, uh, we'll say, 13. And I do think that the weather will be a factor. I've seen enough games down there in November to know that uh, strange things can happen with the wind, and, and uh, they tend to swirl a little bit inside that stadium. And, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how it plays out. That is good news. That is good news. Iowa come home, regroups. The final drive was a short one, aided by a controversial.
initial face mask call, but then Keith Duncan, the true freshman, just drives it through, and the Wolverines beaten 14-13 in a game that is shades very much of that 1985 1-2 game here. Here in the heartland at Iowa, where a walk-off field goal by a true freshman, Keith Duncan, wins it for the Hawkeyes, an unusual 14 points they put together to knock off the Wolverines by a point. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ESPN on ABC for the game highlights this week, and thanks as always to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting Iowa athletics for 10 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.